a uh, revamp of the corporate governance code uh, in the uh, the spring. And what I've been saying to clients is, remember last year when we had the uh, foreign um, foreign investment laws and we were terrified about what it might do, and then concerted uh, lobbying managed to change all that. Well, we must do the same this year. We, we must not lose the, uh, the opportunity for changes in the corporate governance code so that those listed subsidiaries have a majority of independent directors, and that allows them to break away from, um, from being slave companies. So companies like Nissan Shatai for, uh, for Nissan and so on. Uh, if they were um, independent uh, in terms of directors, then they might do something different. Nick, it's always a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you very much indeed. That's Nick Smith, who's Japan strategist at CLSA in Tokyo. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. And shares in Japan are building on those gains uh, once again. Although, actually, uh, the, the uh, Nikkei 225 has now gone flat. It was up a little bit earlier on. Uh, has lost those gains now. And the SX200 in Australia as well, also down now um, about 0.6%. Does look like the Hang Seng, though, is going to open but more or less flat in an hour's time. Over in South Korea, the Cosby is up about 1%. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil adding a little bit more to its gains overnight, $60.69 a barrel. Gold is also up a little bit here in Asian trading as well at $1,833 an ounce. Thank you very much for listening. Do please stay tuned uh, for back chats coming up in a moment with Hugh Chiverton and Ada Wong. The weather forecast for today, cloudy with a few rain patches. Maximum temperature going to be around 21 degrees. The rain will be heavy during the day tomorrow and the weather will improve on the Lunar New Year's Eve. Warm during the day with sunny periods in the Lunar New Year holidays. There is a strong monsoon signal in force right now in Hong Kong. It's 18 degrees, 76% relative humidity. It's 8.32 with the news headlines, Samantha Butler. Government has reportedly decided against using a jury for the first trial under the new national security law, according to a legal source with direct knowledge of the case. Mike Weeks reports. Sorry, we seem to be we seem to be having trouble playing that story. We'll try and get back to it later. No new COVID-19 cases have been found in testing of over 1,500 people in the latest overnight lockdowns. The lockdowns at Manying Building in Jordan and Hang-On Building in Shamshu Po were lifted at 7am. In a pilot scheme, officials also handed out free test kits to residents living in seven buildings around Manying Building and encouraged them to get tested. Myanmar's military ruler, General Mingon Lang, has addressed the nation for the first time since the army, known as Tatmadaw, seized power last week. In a speech on television, the general sought to justify the coup, saying civilian leaders had failed to hold a proper election last November. The UN Special Rapporteur on Human Rights in Myanmar, Tom Andrews, said the general's speech wasn't short on irony. The one part that I agreed with was his statement that uh, there is no one above the law. But by no one, that should also include himself and the Tatmadaw. And of course, with their illegal action, they are putting themselves above the law. Even the Myanmar's own law, even the Constitution, as the generals wrote it, and of course, they wrote this Constitution, they're even in violation of this. 
On the eve of Donald Trump's impeachment trial in the U.S. Senate, Democrats leading the prosecution say there's overwhelming evidence against him. Mr. Trump has been charged with inciting insurrection after his supporters attacked the Capitol. The impeachment managers from the House of Representatives called it the most grievous constitutional crime ever committed by a president. Chuck Schumer is the Democrat leader in the Senate. Following the despicable attack on January the 6th, there must, there must be truth and accountability if we are going to move forward, heal, and bring our country together once again. Sweeping such something as momentous as this under the rug brings no healing whatsoever. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Hugh Chiverton, your co-host. Today's Ada Wong. Ada, good morning to you. Good morning, Hugh. Today, the latest in COVID-19 measures and vaccines. Authorities yesterday ordered around 130 students at a secondary school to be sent to a quarantine centre after two fellow pupils came down with COVID-19. And Sophia Chan has again defended the government's ambush lockdown policy, saying strict action was needed to rid the SAR of COVID-19. She said 15 cases had so far been found in 20 lockdowns involving almost 19,000 people, saying the positive rate was higher than last year's citywide voluntary testing programme, and no cases were found overnight after another 1,500 were tested. She also dismissed accusations that the government was lowering its standards by exempting mainland vaccine manufacturer Sinovac from having to publish data from late-stage clinical trials in a medical journal, saying the government's advisory panel on COVID-19 vaccines would carefully assess all available data. Well, what do you make of how the covid fight is going here and and also what's happening in Singapore we'll be catching up on that where vaccinations of some hundreds of thousands is already underway let us know your thoughts your questions and your comments on our facebook page backchat and rthk radio 3 by email backchat at rthk.hk is our address or you can call us and our telephone number is 233 88266 233 88266 uh, is the number we've got a bit of a to and fro and uh, emails on the subject of uh, matthew maybe we'll get to that uh, later let's welcome first of all, uh, Benjamin Cowling, uh, who's uh, head of the Division of Epidemiology and Biostatistics at the School of Public Health at the University of Hong Kong. Professor Cowling, good morning to you. Good morning. I haven't uh, spoken to you uh, for a while. We, we seem to have kind of uh, plateaued in, in, in the numbers uh, and in uh, progress. How do you think uh, Hong Kong's doing at the moment? Uh, on average, over the past couple of months, the numbers have been coming down. They're now in the 20s to 30s every day. Uh, I, w- I would guess after Chinese New Year there might be a small bump, just as we had after Christmas and the, 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 the New Year. But in general, we are on the right trajectory. We're going down towards zero. And once we get to zero, I think we'll see some of the public health measures being lifted. But it's taken longer to get the fourth wave uh, over than it took us to get the third wave over. Um, and, and why is that, Professor Cowling? Uh, I think there's, there's probably the most likely reason is the fatigue. So I've been doing some, some studies, collecting some data in Hong Kong over the past year on how people are behaving. And one of the things we've noticed in the past few months is that people aren't uh, as compliant with the recommendations to, to stay at home, to avoid crowded areas, um, to avoid social gatherings. They're not as compliant now as they maybe we have been in the past. Um, and you can see that when you, when you go out in Hong Kong, you see there's more people about. If you think back to March, April, 
it was like a ghost town. Even in June, June and July, a lot of people were staying at home in the peak of the third wave. And now in the fourth wave, I think there's a bit of fatigue. So that, that does mean that, that it's going to take longer to, to bring the numbers down to zero. And is the government's um, sort of like ambush lockdown measures, uh, do you think it's working? Uh, so you said working, but I'm not really sure what the, what the intended outcome is. I haven't heard a clear explanation of the, the whole concept. Um, what we've seen in the past year is a lot of clusters of COVID cases. You remember the dance hall cluster, the ballroom dancing cluster, uh, going back to July, there were, there were quite a few clusters. Going back to the beginning in March, we had the bar and band cluster. There's been a lot of clusters of infections, but very rarely have we seen clusters of infections around a single housing estate where there have been previous cases. I think the Licune estate comes to my mind in, in June last year when there were uh, some cases in that particular housing estate. But in general, in the past year, we haven't seen clusters in housing estates. Of course, within households, there are. There, there's a lot of transmission in Hong Kong has been from one household member to another. But beyond a household in a single flat, we really haven't seen a lot of transmission in housing estates. Of course, there are these, these old buildings with the sewage problems, maybe, or the, the ventilation issues. Uh, and, and there have been small numbers of cases linked to those in those old buildings. But in general, I, I don't really understand the rationale, because if there was a case last week in my building, it doesn't mean that there's likely to be an outbreak this week in my building. The same as if I go to play the Mark Six, I'm not going to, to, to go to the betting shop where the, the winner placed the bet last week. You know, these things, there's a lot of chance, a big element of chance in, in where cases can be found. And they tend to cluster by social setting, by, by social group, by occupational group, not so much by the housing estate, by where people live. So, so in essence, if we really want the cases to come down quickly, uh, we have to stay at home more during the holidays. That, that, uh, yes, there's sure, no, there's sure. no other I, I, way. Yeah, I, I, I'm worried that at Chinese New Year there's going to be a, a lot of social gatherings and that's going to give a lot of opportunities for outbreaks to occur. We've, we've seen all along in the past year outbreaks occurring at social gatherings. Um, I, I remember one recently where there was a, a medical doctor or their family had a family gathering and there were quite a lot of cases came out of that maybe two or three months ago. Um, so it, it's really a, a concern because of Chinese New Year because we haven't got the cases down to zero. I think targeted testing of uh, maybe more uh, groups of people that are more likely to be infected, like the, the, the third runway workers, um, maybe like some other occupational groups, that, that's certainly going to be worthwhile. But I, I, I'm still not convinced about the rationale of these ambush lockdowns. Okay. Uh, what about the um, uh, putting the 130 school children into uh, quarantine? This is after two pupils uh, who took part in an exam were, were, were tested uh, positive. Uh, what do you think about that as a measure? Uh, it's pretty proactive. I'm not sure if any of those 130 children actually got infected. If there had been a few more infections detected in that group, then I, I can understand why it would be done. But just with two children, when their only exposure was in the exam room, when everybody was wearing masks, it seems very kind of proactive, really, really being very, very cautious. My suspicion, my expectation is that none of those 130 children would actually have been infected. And so they're going to have 14 days of peace and quiet uh, in, a, in a quarantine facility.
Yeah, so, so I mean, that, so they're counted as close contacts. Is that that make that's the difference? Yeah, is but it? under the CHP guidelines, if you wear a mask and the person who's infected wore a mask as well, then you can't be a close contact. Um, so I'm not sure how these these uh, these students were, were classified as close contacts. I'm not sure if, if maybe. They weren't wearing masks, but I, that's it's, not what um, I I understand it's an exam setting in a hall, and um, the, the seats and the tables and chairs were, were like at least a metre apart. So, so that, that sounds pretty okay to you? But were they wearing masks? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so uh, under the CSP definition of close contacts, if the infected person and the contact were both wearing masks, then it's not a close contact. It's an other contact, not a close contact. And, and typically those people are not sent to quarantine. How, what, what are the rules? I mean, we've just been told, I, I really don't know, but I've been told that, for example, in, in RTHK, if there is a case on a particular floor of the, of, of the building, uh, then we can't go back to work until we are... We've got to stay at home, basically, until we and have a test. Until we have a negative test, we can't, we can't resume work. But there's no talk about, about quarantine. Is that sort of standard? Yeah, that's right. So that would be a, an RTHK policy. I think a lot of companies would have policies like that, that if there's a, a, a case in, in, the, in the workplace, in the building, then you'd be very, very cautious. And, and I think a lot of companies will arrange testing in, in that circumstance. The quarantine is done by the Centre for Health Protection, so mm. that's a separate process. That if you know, someone had been on your show in, in the studio without wearing a mask, you hadn't been wearing a mask, then you, you, you might well find yourself being sent to quarantine camp. But if you're wearing a mask and the guest is wearing a mask, then you wouldn't be classified as a close contact. So you wouldn't be sent to quarantine. Right. I mean, and practically in Hong Kong, everyone wears a mask all the time, except, I guess, for sort of social occasions and for eating yeah, and drinking. Yeah, in households and in social settings. Yeah. So that's why the number of people sent to quarantine camp has been so low all along. It's only been, I think, the average per case is probably two or three people oh, right. sent to quarantine. So that's basically the close family members and, and maybe a, a close social contact. And there are also difficulties in contact tracing because the interview goes along the lines of, who have you met without wearing a mask? And then the, the case would have to say where they haven't been wearing a mask and, and the people they've met who haven't been wearing masks. So you can imagine there's, there's going to be an element of, of reporting bias, uh, you know, some, some subjectivity in how people decide to report where they've been and, and when they haven't been wearing a mask. Mm. Um, I, I know a lot of people are very unhappy because uh, the uh, restrictions uh, for dinner uh, have not been lifted. But then, you know, on the other hand, uh, people are now buying takeout and whole family of perhaps six to eight people cram into a small flat. And there's the problem of exhaust fans and perhaps um, there's more likelihood of vertical transmission if we have faulty pipes and so on. So is it a good idea really to, to ask people to stay at home and, and eat dinner at home? Uh, certainly back in the past year we have seen outbreaks linked to restaurants because people eat in the restaurant without masks and if the restaurant's crowded if there's a lot of people in there then just one case could spark an outbreak uh, so I understand the rationale but, but in my opinion it would have been maybe a better idea to have a, a capacity limit maybe 50% of capacity at maximum spacing people out in the restaurants and prolonging the opening hours rather than shortening them so open the restaurants until after midnight and ask people to go off peak, have, have a late happy hour as well as an early happy hour. Because, as you said, it just pushes the group dining to other, other locations, not inside restaurants, and doesn't necessarily have as big an impact on transmission as you would hope, as, as the government would hope.
Okay. Uh, had a, a longish email from uh, this is from uh, Alison who has some specific questions ab- about vaccines. Uh, I know, Professor Cowling, you're not speaking on behalf of the administration, so perhaps the, the, the questions here that you you, you can't answer. Uh, but this is what uh, Alison says: There remains much confusion about the planned rollout of COVID vaccines in Hong Kong. I have numerous questions, which hopefully your expert guests can shed some light on. One: What is the latest timeline for the rollout? Do you know anything about that, Professor Cowling? First of all. We should be getting uh, uh, the first batch of a million vaccines from BioNTech, which is the Pfizer, Fosun, Pharma. That, that vaccine, the first million doses should be coming around the end of this month. Uh, and then they'll start to be administered to the, the highest risk in, in Hong Kong, uh, probably by the end of this month and then, and then through March. And, and what I heard was for that vaccine, the, the BioNTech vaccine, the Pfizer and Fosun, Pharma, that vaccine will maybe get a million doses every month or so. So over the next six or seven months, we'll get six, seven million doses, and they're going to be administered. Hopefully, we're going to use all of those in Hong Kong. Um, and then for the other two vaccines, the Sinovac and the AstraZeneca vaccine, they're still pending approval here and approving any, uh, pending any shipments. I think Sinovac could come soon if it was approved. And the AstraZeneca vaccine, uh, I think we've been promised in the summer, not now. I see. So it's quite bitty. All right. So that answers a few more of Alison's questions. Uh, uh, one of them is, uh, which Chinese vaccines will the government import? Sinopharm, which Macau will use, or Sinovac, uh, or the PLA-controlled CanSino, which the government, Brazilian government has been using? Uh, it's Sinovac, isn't it, basically, that we're yeah, right, down right for? Yeah, right now it's Sinovac. Right now it's Sinovac. So the, the government's talking about... Uh sharing the documents with a committee. I'm not a member of the, the, that particular committee, sharing the documents with a committee uh, to get their approval on, on whether Sinovac can be used in Hong Kong based on all of that evidence. Uh, and if it's approved, then I think the vaccine will come quite soon. I don't, I don't know if we're going to get Sinopharm or, or any of the other vaccines uh, yet, but I would imagine their performance would be very similar to the Sinovac anyway. So, so having Sinovac would, would, already, would already be okay. I, I don't think we'd need more like Sinopharm or CanSino as well. All right, uh, Alison's last question. Assuming the Hong Kong government brings in the BioNTech, uh, Pfizer and a mainland vaccine, will Hong Kongers have a choice which vaccines they opt for? To address the public's apparent scepticism towards using Chinese vaccines, would the government choose to make the Chinese vaccine the only free option in government hospitals, while the preferred Western-manufactured vaccines would be distributed through private hospitals and clinics? No, my understanding is the government setting up these vaccination clinics, similar to the way they did the mass testing exercise in sports halls and community centres. And so uh, the Pfizer vaccine is going to be distributed through those starting at the end of this month and maybe the other vaccines as well. And there may also be a way to get them through, through private clinics. And then um, for the highest risk people, they're going to go first and then maybe down by age, so the 80s, 70s, 60s, 50s, people in their 40s and so on. So, so um, when, it, when it gets round to your turn to be eligible for the vaccine, I think you'd have a choice at that point whether you want to go and get it or not. And if you choose not to get it, then you could wait and see if there's another vaccine available for you later in the year uh, when that one becomes available. So I don't think that any vaccine will be forced on anybody. There'll always be a choice of whether to receive a vaccine or not. But it may be in the early days the only vaccine you could get is the Pfizer one. And then as time goes on, maybe the other vaccines will be available and then you could, you could have a choice at that point. What's happening with the Chinese vaccines? I think I'm right in saying that Sinovac and the Sinopharm 
uh, have not delivered the the uh, uh, the information, and certainly hasn't been published in in journals that was expected. Uh, and there's, uh, the government has said that there is some delay in that; they're unable to do it at present, unable to co- collect the information. What's going on there? Why would there be a problem like that? Yeah, I, I don't know why there's a hold-up, but, but it's important to be very clear that publication of the results in a medical mm-hmm. journal has never been a criteria for approving vaccines for, for community use. The process for approving vaccines for community use has relied on uh, receiving data from the company, maybe receiving independent evaluations as well, and then a committee, whether it's in Hong Kong or another country, uh, another part of the world, committee making the judgment about whether the vaccine should be used or not. Of course, if there's a publication in the medical journal, then that gives it an element of, of uh, peer review approval as well. But there have been occasions where information published in medical journals has had to be corrected later because it's been found to be erroneous. And typically, the information which is provided to vaccine approval committees is much more detailed. So whereas a journal publication might be five, six, seven pages, the, the documentation provided for vaccine approval typically runs into hundreds of pages of documentation to go through uh, and to review. So I, I'm not concerned that the data hasn't been published, but I, I think because of the sensitivity, it would be really valuable if more information was made available, whether in a journal publication or whether just as a submission to, to the committee. And if you go to Google for the FDA submissions from Pfizer, from Moderna, from other companies, you'll find enormous amounts of documentation freely available on the internet that anybody can read. And that's far more detailed than, than what's been published in the medical journals like the Lanza. So what you described uh, would be like third stage uh, um, information and results, that, that's been lacking. People have been yeah, talking I mean, what, about what the I third stage. Yeah. Is, 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 is Sinovac producing a 100-page report about the results of their clinical trials, including the large phase three trials, and making it freely available on the Sinovac website to say this is our report of what's happened. Here in due course, we will publish the results in a peer-reviewed journal of, of each of the individual trials. But for now, this is what we've got. And, um, you know, we solemnly swear that it's, it's, the, it's the, the correct information. But that's, but, that's but that's what they haven't done at present. Is that what you're saying? Right, that's what I'm saying they haven't hmm. done at present. I think other companies in, in the US and in, in Europe, those, those regulatory agencies would typically have a lot of transparency about their decisions to approve vaccines. People are still, sorry, people are still debating, you know, the risks of uh, different vaccines. And um, I I was told the other day that, um, you know, the mRNA, which is the Pfizer um, vaccine, is still a new technology and and some people are concerned about it. Are are you concerned? No, I'm not concerned. I mean, now around the world, millions and millions of people have received the mRNA vaccine, the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccine. There's been very, very few reports of serious adverse events. And in the same period of time, there have been millions of people dying from COVID. So the risks of the vaccine, you, you can't say there's zero risk of receiving a vaccine. Any vaccine in the world for any disease would always have some risk associated with it, whether it's a risk of mild side effects or a very rare risk of something more serious. But we, we weigh up the risks against the benefits and the benefits from these vaccines. The mRNA vaccines are the most effective vaccines we have. So actually, that, that should really be the preference for a lot of people to have really a high level of protection against COVID, which can be a deadly disease, um, when, when the risk of receiving a vaccination is minimal. And it's true that it's a new technology, but at the same time, we're not going to be the ones going first. We're not the guinea pigs for this vaccine. Millions and millions of people have already received it worldwide. 
Do, I mean, do you read anything into this delay? Um, why, why might it be occurring? Which delay? The delay in releasing the information for the for the Sinovac and Sinopharm vaccines. I, I, I don't know why. I, I don't have a good understanding of what's been happening and, and why there isn't more, more information available at this point in time. I know there were three trials for the Sinovac vaccine. There was one in Brazil with 50% uh, effectiveness against mild infection. There was one in Turkey with, with a high level of effectiveness, but it was a smaller trial. And I believe there was a third trial in Indonesia, and I don't remember hearing, maybe I missed it, I don't remember hearing what the results of that study were, what the results of that trial were, but there were three trials. And one of the things that's always important to do with vaccine trials is to have all the information on all the trials that were done. You can't cherry pick and say, you know, mm. we're, we're just going to tell you about trial the A good news, yeah. successful, and we won't tell you about trial B where it didn't work so well. And, and so I... I, I, I would like to know what the results were of the trial in Indonesia. And for the, the other Chinese vaccine, the Sinopharm, I, I would have the same comment that, that I, quite a number of trials have been done and we haven't heard the results of all of them yet. Okay. All right. Um, some uh, comments. Um, MT says, zero for how many days is a measure of success? The S aim of zero is ridiculous. There will be cases for months, if not years to come. COVID-19 is a flu. We have flu all the time. That comes from uh, MT. Um, Matthew says, the ambush lockdowns are political performance art for Chairman Xi, which began the day of Carrie Lam's annual performance appraisal with the chairman. The results clearly show they're ineffective in managing the virus. They are likely also designed as a distraction from the real issue, which is that the administration has not yet begun a vaccination programme when many developed countries are already well underway and have vaccinated numbers far in excess of Hong Kong's total population. Why are supposedly livelihood issues focused parties like the DAB and other CCP mouthpieces not loudly calling for the programme to start. The delay can't be because it's been blocked by the evil opposition in LegCo. Surely it couldn't be because politics and patriotism are being put ahead of the health of Hong Kong people and our economy because it's deemed unpatriotic to start the programme without a mainland developed vaccine. Is there any other explanation than this? That is uh, from uh, Matthew. Uh, some more specific questions. Kenny uh, wants to know your thoughts on keeping uh, beaches closed. Uh, Kenny, uh, yesterday... Um, sent a picture of an ungazetted beach uh, in Stanley uh, with lots of people on it, uh, suggesting that uh, closing the gazetted beaches are forcing people onto the ungazetted beaches and uh, wanting to know uh, what, you, what you thought about uh, keeping those beaches closed. Professor Cowling? Yeah, we, we talked about this over mm. the past six or nine months. But I, I really think beaches should be open. Uh, it's a place where we haven't uh, imagined transmissions occurring because it's outdoors with the sunlight and the, the breeze from the sea. Uh, it's, it's really a good place to spend time, much better than in the shopping malls, which have been packed recently, and, and, uh, uh, and also restaurants, of course. So, so I, I wish the beaches were open. I understand there's occupational hazards for the, for the staff who need to, to work, whether they're cleaning the, the, the bathrooms or working in the, in the stalls on those beaches. But um, I think the risk can be minimised. We, we know how to do that now with ventilation, with face masks. Um, and I, I think it would be a good place to, to, to encourage people to go, to spend more time outdoors. Mm. All right. Uh, Tom says, for COVID testing in Hong Kong, there are thousands of temperature checking stations around the city. But if anyone fails to check, absolutely nothing happens to them. Uh, but they probably just go home for the day. Uh, why don't we do something about people that are most likely sick of the temperature checks instead of these silly military-style raids? 
Also, why do people like Matt seem to simply not comprehend that people who support the government would just like things to stay the same? What is so hard about imagining there's people who want to party like it's 2017 and post lunch photos and work on career options? In his paranoid mind, it seems we all need to be a single-bot entity controlled by the CCP Ka-ching. We can see the same thing happen in other countries where all the diverse and varied people that make up a political movement are rolled into words like Antifa, Brexit or MAGA and then dismissed as an undesirable abstract entity rather than being actual people. Uh, Jay says, if I have two shots, can I mix the vaccine? Can you take two or you've you got to stick with one? Professor Cowling. I have a good question. Right, right now, all the trials have been done with the same shot uh, repeated twice. Uh, but now there are a few smaller studies looking at whether it's okay to combine two different vaccines, maybe the Pfizer followed by the AstraZeneca or maybe some of the Chinese vaccines. Um, and I know th there may be advantages to doing that, but we just don't have the evidence yet. Okay. I think in the long run, may maybe it's going to turn out to be a good idea. But right. right now there's just no evidence. So okay. we're not going to do that. Jim says, if I choose a vaccine and I have an adverse reaction, who should I sue? Yeah, I don't know. In, in some countries, they'll have special policies. I think in Singapore, they're doing that, some kind of no-fault compensation scheme. In Hong Kong, I haven't heard of anything like that. Um, so I, I don't know what the plan is. In Macau, you, you get a compensation. I mean, uh, obviously, if there's an unfortunate death, I read this morning that it was like a million dollars, equivalent wow. to Hong Kong dollars, um, you know, if there's a death. But we don't want to see that. Uh, Professor Cowling, is it actually uh, a good idea uh, for the, our goal of COVID to go down to zero before we can resume, um, you know, a more normal life? Yeah, I think so. And if we can get it to zero for a little period of time, maybe two weeks, then we can be pretty confident that COVID's gone. And as the, as the correspondent said earlier in one of the things you read out, Hugh, it, it will be back sooner or later, but at least we can relax for a while. Um, if we don't wait until we got to zero before we relax the measures we're going to see a very rapid resurgence in case numbers if we get to zero and, and try and hold it there for a period of time especially with the very strict quarantine we have now on people coming into the city then uh, i think we could stay at zero for a while look at how new zealand's managed like in taiwan and a few other places it is possible to do it we can do it in hong kong um, but we, we can't relax the public health measures too soon. Otherwise, okay. there will be a very rapid resurgence. Well, Professor Cowling, once again, thank you very much indeed for joining us and answering uh, all those questions. There's plenty more which we'll get to and points to be made uh, after the news at nine. We're also going to be uh, catching up with what's happening uh, in Singapore where the vaccination programme has started. The weather, cloudy with a few rain patches, 18 degrees at the moment with the relative humidity now at 77%. There must be truth and accountability if we are going to move forward, heal, and bring our country together once again. Sweeping such something as momentous as this under the rug brings no healing whatsoever. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back, back chat this Tuesday morning with Ada Wong and me, Hugh Tiverton. We're talking about aspects of uh, COVID prevention uh, in Hong Kong. We're also going to be hearing about uh, what's happening uh, in Singapore in the second part of the programme between now and uh, 9.30. As ever, we want to hear your questions and your comments. Our email address is backchat at rthk.hk. Our number is 233-88266. Or you can go to our Facebook page. That's backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Uh, a lot of emails. Some, uh, a, a couple 
about uh, Matthew in particular, which I'll get to maybe at the end of the programme. Uh, Anthony says, a big congratulations to Tom Brady's Tampa Bay for winning the Super Bowl. You are the GOAT. Hashtag baby Blake is delighted. Wishing RTHK and the Backjet team a happy Lunar New Year. Have a good one, guys. Thank you very much indeed uh, for those uh, best wishes. Uh, on uh, Facebook, Elango says it's not a good idea to lower the standards to approve any vaccine without standard efficacy data become transparent. The government will be triggering a major vaccine hesitancy. We can evidently see this happening in India, where they approved a local vaccine without standard efficacy data. Put this together with the already prevalent aversion towards Chinese vaccines, we would end up with a major hesitation towards all the vaccines uh, available. Um, Nig says the news of the day is actually a mainland businessman confirmed with COVID is exempted from quarantine but infected four other family members. Yet this is classified as a local case, which by all accounts it should not be. And from PressCon earlier, the Centre for Health Protection admitted that cases of the same nature existed in August. Reporting there should be precise and accurate. Why can't the authorities... Uh, do that. Bruce says, please ask about an American passport holder enjoying Hong Kong long-term on tourist visa. USA government says no vaccine available. Hong Kong government says no vaccine available. What to do, please? Uh, thanks for your time. Uh, to get back to that one, Bruce. Uh, TC says, as I stated before, when the world is already on vaccination, the Hong Kong government is behind the curve when it's still mandatory testing. Henry says, today's news is that AstraZeneca uh, and Moderna vaccine has a very low efficacy ratio against the South African variant. South African government has halted the vaccination of AstraZeneca vaccine, only 10% efficacy ratio pending further investigations. Henry also says, given that EU countries are having a hard time getting vaccines from some suppliers, the obvious choice of vaccine for Hong Kong is Chinese vaccines. Chinese vaccines have been used in China and other countries with good results. People must be flexible and use common sense at times of urgency. The fuss by some over acceptability of Chinese vaccines only reflect a rigid mindset that is incompatible with what the needs of Hong Kong people need at this moment. It's life or death and the economy. Do we want to let ourselves be like the EU countries running mad to get vaccines plus delivery of vaccine quantity promised highly uncertain? That is uh, from uh, Henry. Mike says, listening to your epidemiologist confirms my belief that our government, again, is showing how well they chase their tails. And uh, uh, Jay uh, has a story from CNN uh, saying a leading uh, Chinese COVID vaccine developed by Sinovac was just 50.38 effective in late-stage trials in Brazil, significantly lower than earlier results showed, according to a statement published by the government of Sao Paulo uh, on Tuesday. While the number exceeds the threshold required for regulatory approval, it falls far below the 78% previously announced, raising questions as to the veracity of the data and fueling scepticism over the apparent lack of transparency regarding Chinese vaccines. That is, as I say, is a story from um, CNN. Uh, Magnus says, uh, put, please put the following to Professor Cowling. I'm a bit late for that, I'm afraid. But anyway, um, first, the transmission rate data published by Hong Kong U does not show anything to suggest that the December the 10th restrictions reduce transmission, i.e. pre-December the 10th, the world looks very similar to post-December the 10th. In fact, the R number actually went significantly higher at one point subsequently. Second, the outdoor restrictions uh, are obviously unhelpful, but might the 6pm closure actually not just... Un 
help, not just helpful, but potentially counterproductive. I think you mean unhelpful. Uh, pe people do not disappear and must go somewhere in the evening. When restaurants are unavailable, then people end up congregating other people's housing. When no mask wearing takes place, i.e. people are simply displaced to a possibly more risky setting. Third, other countries have restrictions on gatherings in all settings. How can it make sense for there to be any restriction on private gatherings in Hong Kong? Surely it's unconscionable to force businesses to close while permitting the virus to prosper in private settings, thus extending business and school closures. And fourth, the six o'clock closure would work, but only if it were part of an evening curfew or at least a restriction such that people were not allowed to go to other people's homes from 6pm to 5am. As Professor Cowling mentioned, if you look around, it's clear people have had enough of the restrictions. This fatigue is exacerbated by so many of the restrictions being obviously unimportant. The huge loophole of unrestricted social gatherings in private settings is undermining the restrictions that would normally be of help. The result of all this is month after month of dragging on, an inconvenience for all and bankrupting so many hospitality businesses. That comes uh, from Magnus. Uh, MT says a specific question, zero for how many days equals success. And Mike says we're still learning about COVID-19. Here are some interesting facts. As with SARS, this is a stage two illness. Medications that seem to be helpful in the first stage are sometimes harmful in the second stage. The information found on autopsy is far greater than you'd expect from this respiratory illness. This suggests that there is an autoimmune element in the second stage. Potential concern or question with the vaccine is what uh, interference or contribution to the autoimmune aspect will a vaccine pose. Only long-term study uh, will determine. Uh, you are the long-term study. Does anyone tell you that? You take a jab, you join the study. Thanks very much indeed for all those questions and uh, comments from our one and all. Uh, we're joined now by Dr Alvin Chan, who's a council member of the Hong Kong Medical Association, and uh, uh, Professor Dale Fisher from the Department of Medicine at the NUS uh, Yong Lu Lin School of Medicine, also senior consultant in the Division of Infectious Diseases at the National University Hospital and the chair of the WHO's Global Outbreak and Alert and Response Network. Uh, Dr. Chan, good morning to you. Yes, good morning. Uh, let's talk, I mean, there's a few things uh, to consider. First of all, the, the, what, what do you make of the, the, those 130 pupils who have been put into uh, quarantine? Do you think that's a, a useful measure, appropriate measure? I think quarantine is um, important in containing any uh, imported cases or confirmed cases in the community. So uh, because one um, conf confirmed or positive or negative test could not really tell all the facts, sometimes the first two could be negative and then the third one positive. So we must be careful that is um, important. And, uh, of course, that brings a lot of inconvenience to those uh, quarantined. But I think for the sake of the safety of the whole community, so I, I hope uh, we could have more patience. And uh, especially uh, we have to be aware when there were, there could be exemptions of testing across the border still. And that is the main danger especially when there's a very um, virulent and uh, high-spreading uh, South African mutant uh, strains. So it had created so much trouble in South Africa, Portugal, and uh, etc. 
So uh, it would be uh, really uh, an omen if we got the South African uh, variant strains here. But uh, of course, luckily, we still don't have. But once uh, there was were uh, uh, one, then uh, it's, it's really a big trouble for Hong Kong. So we must be uh, vigilant in preventing any spread of any unknown origins, or I mean, the uh, spreading of. Uh, uh, the virus through unknown uh, chains of spreading. And so I, I would uh, 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 these um, maneuvers of uh, quarantines, uh, but of course it should be appropriate and uh, not, um, I mean, um, uh, 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 if it is unnecessary, of course, then I, I think it should not be done. Um, Dr. Chen, you were mentioning that um, you know a, a lot of Hong Kong residents are coming home for Chinese New Year. They work yes. uh, in the mainland China, and you know when they uh, you know cross the border, there's no need for them to be quarantined. Are you worried about this? You just I mentioned? am very worried about this because um, we have been complaining about the persistence of this exemption measures across the border for those, uh, not just the diplomatics, but also for those business people and their family members. That's um, not acceptable to us um, professionals in the medical field because this is a loophole for the second, third and fourth waves. They will bring us the horrible fifth wave later on if there were the um, carry- there were one that could have carried the South African variant especially. You, you know that the South African um, variant had caused uh, so much trouble because uh, it's resistant to the protective effect of um, many vaccines, including uh, Pfizer, Moderna, especially the AstraZeneca became almost useless against it, so much so that the South African government had halted the vaccination program. Probably they would be replaced by the Johnson & Johnson, uh, which is perhaps um, uh, better and with only one single dose. And uh, so Sinopharm could be uh, also effective. So I think that would um, have to uh, alert us and the scientific committee, I think, would be very, very uh, vigilant in observing all the things. Um, if if one case had come in through the border to import the South African uh, variant, then well, I, I think it would be a big trouble for Hong Kong. And uh, we have to be vigilant to prevent it. All right. Uh, Professor Fisher, good morning to you, and thank you very much indeed for, for joining us. Uh, what do you make of this? First of all, can you, I think a lot of people are going to get are getting quite confused about the different vaccines, about their different uh, efficacy, about where they're being used and, uh, and so on. Um, w- w- tell us the situation in Singapore. What's happening there with the vaccination programme, first of all? Uh, thanks, Chu, and thank, thanks for having me on. I think if anyone's confused about the lay of the land in, in vaccines, they're not alone. I have a lot of sympathy for them because there's really many vaccines, all at different stages. We're, we're all getting uh, drip-fed information from from various sources, and, and I think uh, no one should feel embarrassed by being confused. Um, so it's, it's probably easiest just to focus on the... The, the, the topical ones that are that are being used in, in in your own country or at least discussed in your own country. 
Singapore's got uh, quite a simple uh, setup at the moment. The, the Pfizer vaccine is the only one that's been given emergency use authorization, uh, and we started vaccinating. Um, uh, I think about a month or six weeks ago uh, was the was the very first vaccines, and we've now vaccinated about 180,000 people. Um, uh, many centres, both in, in, in hospitals and, and even converted schools, things like that. And it's ramping up. We're doing about 10,000 a day now, but that uh, is expected to increase. Um, not, not that we've got a problem in Singapore. We've got remarkably few cases, uh, even less than, than Hong Kong. And, uh, uh, but but we've, we, we, know, we know what can happen. We, we have been in a bad position in the middle of last year, so, so we're not... Uh, Sitting back, we're, we're keen on on going with the, the proven vaccines uh, as as they come. Uh, I, I note that uh, Singapore does have very few cases, but still there are cases, like ten to twenty cases per day. Uh, am I right? So, is it the goal to uh, to have zero um, confirmed cases uh, on the part of the Singapore government? So, as you'd know from from Hong Kong's numbers, the the uh, uh, once you get very few, it, it gets distorted a little bit by imported cases that are diagnosed when when people are actually in in hotel quarantine when they they arrive from overseas. So that's the situation in 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 Singapore. Is that there might be roughly about five community cases a week, something like that. Um, so so most of our numbers are, are people that are diagnosed while they're in in quarantine return travellers. Um, we, uh, th- these cases, some are, uh, if you like, leakages from uh, from hotel quarantine. It's very hard to have uh, perfect uh, infection controls. So, so, so there has been some spread, as indeed we've seen in Australia, New Zealand and, uh, and other parts of Asia. Um, so, uh, yeah, our, our numbers are very small, but that's why we keep up all the uh, all the interventions. So we've got universal mask wearing um, whenever you leave your home, uh, unless you're eating and drinking. So even walking along the street outside um, is uh, it, it's it's mandated, and our gatherings uh, are no more than eight people uh, allowed round to your house, even through Chinese New Year. Our a rule is no more than eight at one time, eight visitors at one time, and you're only allowed two batches of, of eight uh, in a 24-hour period. So it's so actually quite uh, quite harsh for, for, for people looking forward to the big family gatherings in Chinese New Year. Hmm. Uh, and what about the uh, vaccines? I think we're—I mean—we're in the same situation uh, in, in Hong Kong in that only the Pfizer vaccine has so far been approved for use, although we haven't actually received the received it yet, uh, or let alone started distributing it. Um, uh, but there's also been controversy here and discussion about about um, uh, the Sinovac vaccines, and we're still waiting for sort of uh, full. Uh, uh, full information about the uh, efficacy and the results of the trials around the world. Um, has there been that sort of discussion in Singapore as well? Um, no, not so much. Mm. Um, we are a, a little like uh, Hong Kong in terms of the, the processes. We have um, uh, an expert committee that's uh, assessing it. It has to go through the uh, 
the, the, the government regulatory authorities and, and be, be pretty uh, well scrutinised. Um, and, and obviously you owe that to the, to the public if you're going to, to, to release it and, and you want people to have confidence. So, so no, there's, there's not a lot of debate. It's, uh, it, it's a process. It's, uh, the company has to put the submission uh, into the Health Services Authority uh, with all the data that can then be analysed. Um, obviously, the Phase 1 and Phase 2 trials, there's, there's many results on those, but the, the Phase 3 trials, there's only only three uh, uh, released uh, uh, publicly at this stage. So, so, so it's, it's up to whether a company actually wants to become licensed in Singapore uh, and, and go through the process. Do you, do you have any insight, any comment on why there might be that delay? What's going on there? Uh, you mean the Phase 3 side yeah. of the trial? Yeah. Well, I, I don't. Um, if the data's there, I, I'm not quite sure why they're not putting it together and publishing it. They've certainly got uh, got talented scientists that could uh, that, that could do it. So uh, I guess there's just some uh, hold-up in, in collating and, and analysing. Uh, it'd be... If the data was there and, and, and it was good, then I'm sure they'd publish it. So... So, but I, I, I can't speak for why there's the line. Okay. We've got a couple of specific questions on the vaccination. I don't know if you or, or maybe Dr. Chan can, 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 can address them. Uh, Doug says the UK has opted to have a 12-week delay between the first and second vaccination. Uh, what are your views on this? And is Hong Kong going to follow the manufacturer's recommended three weeks? Uh, Professor Fisher or Dr. Chan, do you know anything about that? What sort of delays is, is uh, suitable between the first and second vaccinations? Yeah, I think it's not. Uh, this is Elton. Mm. Good morning. Yeah. I think it's not preferable to delay the second dose because uh, from the third phase, the second phase, the first phase trials, they are all on the uh, all the basis uh, is for the um, three weeks to four weeks between the first and the second dose. And if you, without scientific evidence, prolong this interval. I think there's no guarantee of the efficiency of the uh, vaccination. And that could, uh, I mean, uh, the variants, uh, mutant variants could be uh, facilitated. Uh, I mean, we had, in fact, done that to facilitate the virus to mutate. I think that is not preferable at all. Hmm. All right. Another question this is from this is from Barbara, who says, "Could you ask Professor Cowling? Well, he's gone, but perhaps Dr. Chan might know uh, if he knows of any plans to exempt returning residents from quarantine on arrival if they have already been vaccinated." This applies to a friend arriving from New York today. She's had both doses of vaccine, but still has to spend three weeks in a quarantine hotel. That's from Barbara. Dr. Chan. Well, I, I, I feel sorry about uh, Barbara's case. But I think, as I said before, uh, one negative uh, test uh, doesn't mean that uh, it's um, 100% negative of the virus. It depends. Sorry, on I think she'd had the vaccination. She'd had the vaccination, been yeah. vaccinated. Uh, and yeah. even the vaccination hmm. does not provide uh, 100% um, proof uh, to be protected. That's why uh, I, I am quite dubious about the measure of the. Hong Kong government or the central that if someone got vaccinated, you will give them a pass. Uh, I think that is not really a guarantee because uh, especially if it is a, say, uh, even a Pfizer, it could be 95%. But 
uh, if there's a South African variant or UK variant, that uh, efficacy could have dropped significantly. And for the AstraZeneca, it could become almost uh, useless. So I think uh, that's why it's so uh, stringent. Uh, I'm sorry about that. But uh, I don't know whether in Singapore they have the same uh, stringent rule to, to, to implement. Uh, yeah, pr- Professor Fisher? So in, in Singapore, we wouldn't let uh, that person in at this stage uh, without quarantine. And as Dr. Chan said, it, it's well, what we know about the vaccine is that it, it protects the person. But because the phase three studies were only detecting symptomatic people, they didn't do routine swabs on everyone, uh, then we don't know if that person that's actually... Um, uh, protected themselves is actually carrying the virus. So, so it's possible that the first swab could be negative, but 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 it it could result in asymptomatic infection a week later, for instance. Now, as I say, the individual is is uh, is protected. That's what the studies have shown us so far. But but we don't know if if that person could still be uh, an asymptomatic carrier. So. We will know that eventually, um, but uh, but but we don't know that now. So we would agree with the with Hong Kong's approach to that in terms of vaccinated travellers. Um, the only thing we probably do a little bit differently to Hong Kong, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, is that that we have nuanced borders. Uh, so we don't just say a flat two weeks to everybody. Um, if you're coming from uh, Australia, Vietnam. Uh, Thailand, uh, uh, mainland, oh, not Thailand, sorry, uh, Vietnam, uh, mainland China. Um, there's, there's a few countries, Brunei, where we wouldn't demand quarantine, but that's because of the, the low prevalence there. We almost got there with Hong Kong before your, your problems have, that started a couple of months ago, and, and I'm sure you'll come. Well, we nearly had the bubble, didn't we? Yeah. Uh, okay, so, yeah. so so no quarantine for people coming from you said mainland China, Vietnam. Uh... But but uh, what, what what is the point, uh, Doctor Chen? What is the point of vaccination then? I always thought that uh, if I uh, get vaccinated, then perhaps the travel restrictions and the quarantine measures could be lifted uh, gradually, uh, so that people can resume uh, you know their normal travel life. <laughs> so. I'm, I'm sorry to say that from the scientific evidence, uh, as um, we all know, these um, vaccines, especially the mRNA vaccines that we had found from the uh, studies, in fact, they prevented people from becoming symptomatic or severe or hospitalized uh, cases in general. But uh, for those asymptomatic ones, they are not uh, preventing that. But these asymptomatic um, people could become the spreader because the virus inside their body do not make them symptomatic. Doesn't mean that the one infected by the virus he sheds would be asymptomatic. And, um, well, so um, I'm sorry to say the vaccine now doesn't really protect us from... Um, catching the virus at all, and that's a different thing. 
Mm. All right, so some more questions and comments on, on the vaccinations. Uh, Jay says this is going to have consequences later for those who are sick or who are old who can't take the vaccines because they will not be able to travel uh, or to uh, get work. Uh, CW says, what would uh, be your preferred COVID vaccine? Will the Hong Kong government be ordering the Johnson & Johnson uh, vaccine? And uh, Jim says, if a thousand people are injected with the identical vaccine and are protected, may I then choose another vaccine? And Joe or John says, could a person accept the Chinese vaccine if that's the first one available and then a few months later, when supplies are better, also receive one of the mRNA vaccines? Uh, uh, Professor Fisher, do you have any any thoughts on that about mixing uh, vaccines, either mixing them for a single person, taking one and then another, or mixing them within the community? Do we have any any information on whether that uh, impairs the uh, efficacy at all? So it's a, it's a very good question. It's a focus of studies that are being done now because it, it'll obviously arise. But we don't know, and, and I think at this stage uh, it's like changing the interval between doses. I think it's much more sensible if we stay with what we know. Um, but, of course, these are, are testing times, and, and sometimes you might have to uh, mix and match a bit. But uh, I, I think in theory it should be... Okay, but but we don't know that yet. All right, Jim says, if I don't like the available second choice, can I go to Singapore for my choices? Not allowed to go to Singapore. Yeah. <laughs> Vaccine tourism, I think, would be a new one. All right. One more. This is from Magnus. Uh, this is for Dr. Chan. Uh, Magnus says, Dr. Chan mentioned he's concerned by the loophole of Hong Kong residents not being subject to quarantine when returning from mainland China. Please ask him what he thinks about the enormous loophole of there being no restrictions, whatever, on social gatherings in private settings here in Hong Kong, quite differently to other jurisdictions and uh, as we just heard uh, Singapore has restrictions on family gatherings in private settings for uh, Chinese New Year. Do you think there should be restrictions on social gatherings and private settings in Hong Kong? Yes, uh, in fact in Singapore they could carry out this measure effectively because their uh, government is uh, quite uh, um, strong-handed and uh, powerful. In Hong Kong the government might be on the weaker side and the people are very dubious and don't have the confidence in the government. When the government has such a measure, people would be very, I think, would have a strong reaction against it. And because that accounts for the, um, their, their feelings about intrusion into the privacy. And uh, because how could you implement, how could you monitor and police such a, a rule that, that there must have some... Um, power of the government or the police to to, to to search your house, whether you have really more than eight people inside uh, your family. So I, I think that is one difficult point uh, for Hong Kong. But in fact, I think with our uh, improvement of the um, um, situation in Hong Kong, in fact, we could get back to the previous uh, mode. Uh, say before the fourth wave, we are almost uh, implementing the travel bubble with uh, Singapore, if we all remember. And at that time, we almost got zero cases. But then comes the uh, fourth wave. And then the on the same day, the uh, travel bubble had burst. 
And uh, so, in, in fact, we could be like New Zealand, we could be like um, Australia or Singapore. But so this stringent uh, measure is, in fact, good if we Hong Kong citizens would accept such a rule um, that the government has the right to go into our house to see how many people are you gathering in your residence. But I think Hong Kong people perhaps will not accept this at this moment. Mm. So uh, I think uh, the only thing we have to be much more stringent uh, in the way we prevent those uh, crossing the borders and uh, to mitigate the spreading chains uh, in Hong Kong. Uh, I, I hope uh, in one day our people would trust the government much more than we could all do these um, measures more effectively. Okay, well, Dr. Chan, thanks for joining us, a council member of the Medical Association. And many thanks to Professor Dale Fisher joining us on the line from uh, Singapore. It's from the Department of Medicine at the uh, National, Uni- uh, National University of Singapore, uh, Yung Lu Lin School of Medicine, also Senior Consultant in the Division of Infectious Diseases at the National University Hospital and the Chair of the WHO's Global Outbreak and Alert and Response Network. Maybe we could talk about that on another occasion. Thank you uh, very much indeed for, for joining us. Uh, briefly, those, those uh, emails emails uh, about uh, Matthew. Uh, Herman says, until yesterday I had thought my pal Maoist Matthew was a humorless hermit, lacking in imagination, who spent most of his days standing on his head in the dark next to his mushrooms, wondering how they grew upside down. His Monday message, though, was both an education. I learned that Matthew... Maoist Matthew may be able to count to five and a revelation. It really made me worry that my 12 and 13 year olds have been psychologically damaged by their 1970s style names and whether I should have included, given them more contemporary sounding ones like Blue given the feeble insults Maoist Matthew included in his message. However, Maoist Matthew's assumption that Johnny and I are the same person was hysterical. For the record, Johnny and uh, and I are not one and the same, and I thought that Johnny's idea of a coffee collection was fantastic, though it made me wonder if Maoist Matthew had a collection cup that was overflowing with 20s, what would he use the money for? Toilet paper? And Martin says, uh, RTHK's backchat programme and its guests, most of whom hold an anti-government, anti-China view, especially some of its daily commentators such as Bowen and Maoist Matthew, prove on a daily basis that freedom of speech, press freedom and the rule of law are well protected in Hong Kong, even after the enactment of the NSL and that one country, two system is functioning. Backchat and its commentators also confirm again and again why Hong Kong is ranked third in the global ranking of the Cato Institute Human Freedom uh, Index. Case in point was yesterday's comment by Maoist Matthew in which he expressed his usual conspiratorial opinion, accusing other listeners such as Johnny Herman and myself as being part of the CPC's plot of organising and paying listeners to write pro-China comments. He simply cannot accept that other listeners do not agree with his constant but easily debunked conspiracy theories and sinophobic rhetoric. As with all China critics, he tries to make the lame excuse that he's anti-CPC but not anti-China. Uh, this either shows absolute ignorance, lack of knowledge, or is a deliberate misinterpretation to hide their bigoted views of China, its people, and the Western superiority complex of these critics. That's uh, from Matthew. Thank you very much indeed for that. Matthew says, listeners, Tom's arguments have no internal consistency or credibility. Here at this morning, preaching dialogue and respectful discussion of different views. Yet when both TC and I engage with him in response to his multiple daily Facebook challenges... Uh, his response